Hello, Bill. Good morning, Matt. Welcome to the DMZ, everybody. Sorry to miss you last week. Hope you managed to persevere without me. Uh, it was tough. It was tough, but we uh, we muddled through, Bill. <laughs> um, but I got I got a week off. Got a little vacay. I'm a little relaxed. Um, that is good. Um, although it's it's totally out of keeping for the moment. It, you should be, you know, highly alarmed. Uh, fire alarms going off. Uh, <laughs> dumpster fires. That's that's the motif here. Well, I had to, I, I had to gear up. I I needed to get a you know energy um, recharge to prepare myself for the next you know nine months, eight months of nonstop hair on fire, anxiety inducing panic. But uh, you know, I still I still am a optimist about November. Well, I mean, if if you are rooting for Biden, I think there I think there's some good news. Now we'll see what happens. We're taping this on Tuesday. There's an election, a primary in Michigan. Uh, tonight. So that may give us some some different fodder, some different uh, vibes. But as of now, Bill, you look, I'm looking at South Carolina and on one hand, Donald Trump won big, right? He won over 60 percent, slightly more than 60 percent of the vote. Obviously, the Republican Party is his. Obviously, he is the presumptive nominee. But there are 40 percent of Republicans, Bill. Well, some of them in South Carolina were Democrats and independents, but there is a good chunk of, of Republicans who do not appear to be uh, Donald Trump fans, and, and many of them, Bill, are saying that they will not support Trump come November. Right. So uh, I think in the exit poll data, uh, I think it was 11 percent who were either Democrat or other in the South Carolina primary this time around. Uh and I think the Republican share was eight percentage points less than in 2016. So let's say, let's just knock off eight points. Let's be crude about it and say, okay, Haley got 40%. Let's, let's, let's take off eight and say it's 32. Well, and I probably could even find the example data with the percentage of the Republicans uh, uh, who... Voted while for. you're looking that up, let yeah. me say there was a Fox News voter analysis yeah. that showed 59 percent of South Carolina Republican primary voters say they would not support Trump in a general election if he's the nominee. This is a trend. Remember back in Iowa, it was about half of Nikki's Iowa backers said they wouldn't support Trump come November. So even if it's only five or 10 percent of Republican, mm -hmm. normal Republican voters that could be the difference, Bill, uh, come November. Well, sure. Uh, and so it, it's it's of the people who are self-identified as Republicans in the exit poll, Haley got 30. So it's a pretty good chunk. But but still, the, the, the operative question, as you just indicated, is how many of those people are truly never-Trump people? And how many of those never-Trump people are not in South Carolina, but in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona, Georgia, maybe North Carolina, uh, and is that amount uh, more than never Biden people who otherwise would you'd expect to vote Democrat? Uh, yeah. And uh, but I, I, you really can't talk about this dynamic without talking about both candidates at the same time. But I think South Carolina shows and, and look is Nikki Haley's home state, not enough of a home state for her to actually win it. But, you know, we've seen. Uh, we've seen Iowa, where you have a 
heavier Christian conservative presence, uh, some of whom uh, weren't big on Trump in the first place, as we've discussed. You know, he's got a pretty solid bond with evangelicals in general, but there may be some who are like, I'm super duper uh, pro-life and Trump's being too middle of the road for my tastes. You have New Hampshire, heavily moderate, relatively speaking, uh, long history of, of people abandoning hard right candidates and South Carolina, which Nikki Haley's home state. So, you know, Super Tuesday might be more of a barometer yeah. of Republican dissatisfaction with Trump because at this point, Haley is so non-viable that you have to really not like Trump to not want to support him in that con- in those contests. Uh, and I would expect the number to be lower than 40, but it's not going to be zero. Uh, and the question still is how many of those people are so adamantly against Trump that they're not going to be there for him, you know, in eight months time. And look, there's always, anytime there's a contested primary, there's always talk about people staying home. You know, I remember there was talk that Hillary Clinton's female supporters weren't going to, were never going to come around to Barack Obama. And of course, the vast majority of them dead. I think this is different. Uh, if you look at those exit polls, I mean, Nick, if Nikki Haley's base, sort of Republican base, we're talking suburbanites, we're talking college graduates. This is part of a bigger reordering. And I think Donald Trump is uniquely distasteful. And Bill, this wouldn't be the first time that uh, that this has happened. I went back and a lot of people have forgotten this, I'm, I'm guessing. But back in 2021, Ron Johnson, you know, the MAGA senator from Wisconsin, admitted in a uh, surreptitiously recorded video that, quote, the only reason Trump lost Wisconsin is that 51,000 Republican voters didn't vote for him. Um, Trump lost the state by about 21,000 votes. So these are voters who voted for other Republicans down ballot, but didn't vote at the top of the ticket and flipped Wisconsin uh, back in 2020, costing Trump presumably the state. So I take this seriously. Um, Again, as you noted, Biden may have his own problems that could offset Trump's problems. But make no mistake, it it, it seems pretty clear to me that Trump is going to have a hard time getting people who ought to vote Republican to vote Republican. And and anytime we're talking about states like Wisconsin that have been decided with narrow margins, you can point to almost any potential factor and say this could be the whole this could be the whole ballgame. But there are potentially multiple factors here, multiple multiple slices of the electorate that could tip an election if things are that close. Um, I don't, uh, I'm tempted to jump into the Michigan discussion, but let's hold it, off. I know it's okay. tempting. Yeah, but 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 let me let me just finish off with Trump, okay? Because this is a guy who I think his entire um, governing and campaigning strategy has been weird. It, it, typically, politicians are trying to get 50 percent plus one. So they kind of water down their content to become minimally acceptable to a broad coalition. Um, and Trump has gone the other direction. He wants to be a cult classic. He wants to he wants he does fan service. He does, you know, kind of like micro targeting and narrow casting. And so he is he's not about growing or persuading. And in fact, he's about purifying his supporters. He told Nikki Haley supporters, we don't want them. You know, that he said, Haley, if, if you're still a Haley supporter, you're permanently banned from the MAGA camp. We don't want them. We will not accept them. Um, this is in keeping with, 
you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene saying that she wanted to eradicate <laughs> Nikki Haley types from the party. And it reminds me, Bill, of Carrie Lake a couple years ago, who told John McCain fans to get the hell out of the party. A line that uh, Megan McCain <laughs> is not uh, forgetting about as Carrie Lake having lost her gubernatorial race is now seeking to patch things up. So I think Donald Trump has invited this. He did not. He does not want us, people like me, uh, to even reluctantly be in his coalition. Well, while I'm a little hesitant to treat Donald Trump as a master political strategist, um, I suspect there is a certain logic to what he does. I, you keep keep in mind he does show the ability to politically recalibrate on abortion, for example. Um, he's in and, the and IVF most recently. I, I, most recently. Um, yeah. So he's not completely unaware that there are things called swing voters that he has to appeal to. But whether he's doing this, you know, consciously or subconsciously, uh, I I think his plan, and I, and I felt we saw this in 2016, is go hardcore, you know, almost all the way through to like the last week. And so you build this very deep cultish bond with people who get get overlooked in a traditional political campaign where the average, typical politician says, okay, these people who are a hardcore base, yeah, they're going to be with me in the end. So I, I don't need to go out of my way to appeal to them. I'm going to really relentlessly focus on the middle for the next 10 months because those folks are going to be with me. Uh, Trump says, I'm going to be really focused on these folks in the fringe and they're going to be out of their minds for me no matter what I do later on because I've shown them uh, – that I care about them now. Uh, and then if he goes a little uh, lighter in like the last 72 hours, when a certain number of swing voters aren't, they aren't really paying attention now, they pay attention then. If you're paying close attention, it seems like a really crude and obvious pivot. Um, but maybe to the folks at the very end, they go, oh, well, everyone said Trump was so bad. He doesn't seem so bad right now. He seems like a normal guy. Um, and the folks who are hardcore, like, let it, let it slide because they feel like he's proven himself to them earlier on. Uh, so I think that's Trump's game. Yeah. Uh, and part to the degree that it works, and it has worked exactly one time. Right. In 2016, up against a very flawed and unpopular or certainly divisive opponent, Hillary Clinton. Um, but to the degree it works, it's contingent on the fact that Donald Trump doesn't need a majority. I don't think there's a scenario where he does this and gets over 50 percent, but he could be president with 46 percent or maybe less, Bill, if we get a third party candidate who steals some of Biden's votes. Well, I'm still I'm, I'm increasingly skeptical that any third party candidate is going to have a good showing, a, a significant showing which I'm happy to get into. We talked about a few weeks ago, so I need to. Yeah, we, we, we can hold off on that. But regardless, I mean, I, I think Trump can pull this off because he doesn't need 50 percent plus one. Yeah, although I, I, I don't 
I'm not, I'm not going to discount the possibility he hits 50 at this stage. He's still not really hitting 50 in most polls. Um, he's still in the you know mid to upper 40s um, when I'm seeing. And he's never hit 50 ever <laughs> in, uh, in, Nash- in the national popular vote. But the ball game is these very small handful of states unless a third party really scrambles the map. Uh, and so, so yeah, I, yeah, I don't think he goes about this thing. How do I get to 50? He thinks about how do I get enough votes in the states that matter? Cause even you now in a typical election, a third party can candidates might get something like 1% collectively. Uh, and so you can eke by and, and Biden eke by with under 50, I believe in Arizona and Georgia, if I remember correctly. Uh, so, uh, uh, it, when you're when you're dealing with a narrowly divided country, uh, in a first past the post system, literal fifty percent is not the name of the game. I, now I it would, may be that, we're, that it's not going to be that narrow at the end of the day, but that's how it still feels like in the, in the in current polling. I wouldn't have bet that you'd be playing devil's advocate for Donald Trump uh, as as a as a strategist. But point well, you, you do make a valid point, and he's not <laughs> stupid. Uh, there may be a method to the madness. Well, he might be stupid. I mean, I can't think he is. Well, but I think he's got a this cunning that he understands certain things. And uh, I take him seriously, maybe not literally. I'm not sure anymore. But what I laid out before worked once, just barely. Uh, It's not, in my mind, a great model to replicate because it really comes into a lot of uh, factors that you can't control when, when things are that close. It didn't. He didn't have the game plan to win the midterms in 2018. He didn't win the re-election in 2020. He lost the, the House and Senate along the way, and he and he quarterbacked a bad midterm in 2022. So I I, I don't want to overstate uh, the method of Trump's madness, but if it is to work again, it would work like that. All right. Well, we should probably shift to Michigan, although you know, with a little bit of. Uh... Of, of modesty because we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, it's This one's my fault. I'm not able to tape tomorrow after Michigan. So we are in that danger zone of making, of commenting about something that we could be proven wrong about. Um, but Bill, does this, does this matter? And, and how many votes? So, so I think there's a, you can vote. It's not none of the above, but uncommitted, uncommitted, non-committed. There's a line on the ballot. I think the ballot is literally Joe Biden, Dean Phillips, Marianne Williamson, uncommitted, and so you're, I mean, you're you're electing you're electing delegates to the convention, uh, and so if you're voting for uncommitted, you're voting for a a slate of delegates who go to the convention who are not committed to a candidate. So it's different than Nevada's none of the above, which is a purely symbolic line that their state created and has no bearing on the outcome of the election. I mean, obviously, there's a worry that some Arab American voters in Michigan, which I think Michigan has more Muslim Americans than any other state in the union. Not not just Muslim, Arab. Uh, uh, I believe that they have an Arab population of about 300,000 in Michigan. And so there's a worry that maybe they don't show up in November. Maybe Donald Trump takes Michigan back. That could be the election right there. A... Uh, are you worried about that scenario that they just stay home? B, what are you looking for that if this happens, it's a red flag. If it doesn't happen, everything's okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to 
stick with the latter question because I, I, I have something more interesting to say here. Okay. Um, what happens tonight will tell us nothing about that question. There, there, there is no number that will tell us something. Uh, there's no uncommitted number that's going to tell us anything about Biden's standing in Michigan. And I'll tell you why. So, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give the main answer first. And then I'll, I'll, I'll go into the deeper in the numbers Because there later. is a number that Donald Trump lost in 2020. There's a X thousands of votes. Well, he Trump lost won. in 2020 by 150,000. He won in 2016 by about 11,000. So the there's a group called Listen to Michigan, which is one of the groups that is pushing an uncommitted vote. And so they set their target at 11,000 because that is the margin that Trump won by eight years ago. Uh, now, there was a non-binding Michigan primary in 2012 when Barack Obama was the Democratic incumbent, and there wasn't any kind of organized campaign to do uncommitted then. Uh, and 20,000 people voted uncommitted in 2012. So they hit 11,000 now. Against a Muslim candidate. <laughs> okay, um, we're joking. We're, we're joking. joking. So they hit 11,000 now is... is on itself is totally unimpressive. It doesn't really mean anything. Uh, now you might say, well, well, 2012 is not relevant here. The question is how many people who are otherwise democratic, who voted for Biden in 2020, how many of them are going to abandon Biden in 2024? You will not be able to tell what that number is based on the uncommitted vote because you have two organizations pushing an uncommitted vote. One is listen to Michigan. Listen to Michigan is saying vote uncommitted. So Biden knows that if he doesn't change his position on Israel Gaza, if he does not call for a ceasefire or and, and end a military aid to Israel under those conditions, he will not have our votes. Uh, and so you might say, well, Biden's not going to do either one of those things. I mean, he's trying to do a ceasefire now, but it's not the kind that these guys want. He's not going to cuff it in military aid. So, well, those people, they're not going to get their wish and therefore they will abandon Biden. But, but some people who are supporting uncommitted, uh, are not quite saying that, uh, Andy Levin in particular, Andy Levin, uh, who is a former Democrat congressman, and some people wanted to him to run against Biden, which he, but he said, I'm not going to do that. I'm proud to have served with Biden. And I support Biden. Uh, but then he says, but I also want you to vote uncommitted because I want to send a message to Biden that he should change these policies. But he's not saying that he is going to abandon Biden in, if he doesn't. And you have a third category of people who are in a different coalition called Abandon Biden. And Abandon Biden people say, we're never going to vote for Joe Biden. <laughs> never, ever, ever. Uh, we're going to go third party or Trump or stay home. But I still want you to vote uncommitted. Uh, and, I can't, and, and I can't know of those people how many of those were with Biden in 2020 or voted third party in 2020. And on top of that, there's a Listen to Michigan uh, pitch that says, 
hey, Republicans, we wh- wh- whoever you're going to vote for in November, we want you to, to join us and vote, pull the Democratic ballot. It's an open primary, so they can do that. Pull the Democratic ballot and vote uncommitted. So it's all muddled who is in this mix voting uncommitted. You can't know how many are you know, potential Biden, Biden voters, how many are committed Biden voters just want to send a policy message, and how many are already against Biden and never were with Biden in the first place. They, it's not a clearly organized campaign, so the, the actual number is meaningless. Okay, but we're in the business of, of you know, doing commentary and, and whatnot. So in the case of Nikki Haley, we said, okay, look, um, she got 40% of the vote. Some of those people are Democrats. Let's now let's make it 30% of the vote. And let's say that half of that 30% does. So we were able to sort of extrapolate and, and, and come down like, does it, I think it does matter. I think it could signal trouble for, for Trump. Um, is there any analogy to what you're see what we're going to see in Michigan? Well, I mean, to be fair, I can't be precise about the Trump Haley dynamic because I don't have great data telling me how many of these people are determined to abandon Trump in, in November. Just because they voted for Haley now, they could come into the fold later. Now, uh, I'm a little more inclined to think that a Republican saying today, I'm not going to vote for Trump means it because they've seen Trump in action for a longer period of time uh, and they just don't like what he's selling. They don't like, um, uh, uh, they don't like him on Russia. Don't like him inviting Putin to invade NATO um, uh, and, 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 and other unsavory things that, that he has done. I think the Biden case is different because you know almost every democrat likes biden's domestic policies um there is a certain concern about age but as i've argued in the past i don't think age becomes a determining factor on election day barring like a complete cognitive decline meltdown uh, i don't think the little flubs we've seen qualify as that um we don't have any evidence that that sort of thing uh uh otherwise moves of a, a vote and we haven't seen in the primary so far. Um, and I don't, and, I, and whether Gaza moves votes at the end of the day, you really can't know that unless you know the situation in Gaza eight months from now, you, you might stamp your feet and say, no way, no how, but if there is a cessation of hostilities by then, even if, Israel still getting military aid, it might it might just deprioritize the issue on your list of issues. Uh, so I feel the things that are uh, the 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 Biden undercurrents are in my mind less fixed than Trump's. Uh, so it doesn't mean it can't happen. So I don't want to be like you know Trump's a goner and Biden's totally fine. Uh, but I think it's much harder to extrapolate at it. You know this this particular political moment when the when the action is very hot in Israel Gaza, you can't know if that's going to be that way in November, and therefore it's hard to know if what, what people are saying today is going to is going to carry over. 
Sounds fair. All right, let's turn to uh, let's turn back to Donald Trump, Bill. I wanted to ask you. So he was speaking to I think it was like an African American Republican group in South Carolina, and he went on this jag about how um, uh, blacks like him because the you know he has been indicted and he has a mugshot. Um, <laughs> Obviously, there's a sense in which this is very offensive and he's engaging in in negative stereotypes. Um, It's also very in keeping with the Trump that uh, we know and uh, not don't quite love. Uh, What say you? Well, um, you know, Trump's not playing for 50 percent of the black vote. He's he's playing for the margins. He's trying to reduce margins. and while saying that, I think opens him up to a lot of uh, backlash, when, which I think the Biden campaign and the Haley campaign has tried to prosecute. You know, they, they, you know, the Biden campaign needs to do things to maintain levels of intensity in the African American community so they get a robust turnout. Uh, so on one hand, you can say Trump being commentary that can be can be thrown back in his face, uh, but. We have to always keep in mind these are not models of the communities. I, I saw a quote uh, in a they did a, uh, a story in the New York Times about um, Wisconsin, and they interviewed one African American voter uh, who was like, "We got to admit, Donald Trump is funny." Uh, uh, you know, hey, someone Dave, might Dave, think Dave Chappelle, you know, did a whole Saturday Night Live monologue about Trump's appeal. Right. Uh, that he saw in, in Ohio. Um, so there's something there. Yeah. So uh, I can't assume that every single African-American voter is going to be offended by that kind of comment. And if it pulls over, I'm, not that this one comment's not going to be the thing that does it, uh, but that kind of attitude, that kind of brashness, uh, if it pulls over, you know, if, uh, you know the, the Kanye West vote, if you will, <laughs> And gets a couple extra points there, you know, does that make a difference in a state like Georgia, which has it, which has a very large African-American vote and is a very closely contested state. Now, look, Warnock beat Herschel Walker. You know, I mean, people thought Herschel Walker was going to get a bigger slice of the black vote than, than he did, at least on the Republican side. Uh, and he was too much of a, of a crackpot for that to be the case. Uh, so I, I just want to be careful that I don't make the, the lazy assumption. Trump did something offensive, therefore he's dead in the water. That's yeah. not the game he's playing. It's, well, it's also, I mean, if you want to be politically correct, the smart move is to say not only is this offensive, um, but it's not going to work, right? Um, and I agree. I think the majority of African Americans will not be persuaded by this message. But as you noted, Bill, um, he doesn't need a majority. He just needs a sliver of the African American <laughs> vote. And are there some probably black men who uh, identify with him as a rebel, as someone who is a victim of the man? Probably. Are there some uh, who might see him being targeted by you know, the, the establishment and, and identify with that? Um, Trump, Joshua Green, uh, you know, reported years ago that when he was on The Apprentice, African-Americans were among the biggest demographic that Donald Trump had part of his fan base. So does he know something about some element of 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 
the African-American cohort. Um, again, I don't think it's a majority. I think overall these things probably hurt him. But uh, I won't you know, the politically correct thing is to say it won't work at all. Like maybe there are some voters that this well, will I be. Mean, I mean, there is a widening uh, education gap between the two parties. And Trump is as is, you know, has increased margins with working class voters. Uh, and that is, to some extent, transcending racial lines. Uh, so that's why when Trump is making a small amount of inroad in African-American and Latino communities, it is this an extension of this working class college educated uh, divide. Now, that has not worked out to Trump's favor in recent elections because he's losing college educated votes along the way. Uh, and that's hurting him in, in, in suburban communities. And by the uh, and by the way, college educated voters show up in special elections, such as the one we had in New York recently. So Republicans have traded a demographic that shows up at special elections in off years in favor of a demographic that shows up in presidential years. Now, this is Probably a debate a whether trade overall. You know, there's a certain uh, optimistic Democratic argument, which is, OK, Trump might be doing well in polls right now, but Democrats keep overperforming polls in these specials because of the, of the dynamic you just laid out. But then the counter to that is, well, that might not come into play in yeah. a presidential election when turnout's going to be higher all around. But it could we, be we, a trap that you underestimate mm -hmm. the uh, the Trump vote. Like again, you know, 2020 was a high turnout election, which Biden won. Uh, and the college educated, uh, the education gap worked in Biden's favor, even though Trump made certain inroads. Uh, and and I think what's not going to help Trump, again, pending uh, how the economy goes, is if there's a certain, uh, you, you see some of uh, these, you know, person on the street articles uh, in the African-American community, what's Biden done for me? I'm not seeing it, that kind of stuff. Uh, but the economic data says differently. We actually have um, uh, very you know, near historic lows in the employment gap, racial employment gap between you know, white unemployment, black unemployment, Latino unemployment. It's, it's gotten very narrow. Uh, it's not quite at its most narrow. I think there might have been a point under Trump where it was a little bit more narrow, briefly. Uh, we're having a fairly extended period where the gap is pretty narrow and, and low all around. Uh, so uh, like the economic uh, uh, situation in general, where Biden's getting sort of delayed credit for what's happening, uh, I expect Biden to get that credit eventually gradually between now and November, uh, assuming there isn't a, a, a negative turn. Uh, and so you don't have the same, I, I don't think the same uh, opportunity for Trump to say, what's Biden done for you? Biden's going to say, I did do something for you. You know, your economic situation is better today than four years ago. Uh, so that, that that's where I feel like Biden's has got the best chance to withstand the kind of games that Trump is playing. Well, what interests me about these games, two things. One, the analogy with Navalny, right? So this isn't just about targeting black voters. They are under an umbrella which says uh, there is this deep state, the man, the establishment, whoever. They're out to get me and you. They want to get me so they can get you. I'm the only thing standing between you and them. Uh, I'm like you. I'm a victim. I'm a dissident. Uh, 
I am your vengeance, um, whatever. It's the Navalny comparison, which of course is bogus and insulting and horrific, is similar to the uh, comments that he had about the mugshot and targeting black Republicans. Um, it, the other interesting point, the second thing that I find interesting is both of these ideas, I think, came from Dinesh D'Souza. <laughs> if you trace them back, I believe it was Dinesh D'Souza like a year ago, you know, whenever the mugshot came out, who himself, I think, had done a little time or at least mm-hmm. ha- had some run ins with the law. Yeah, I believe it was Dinesh D'Souza who first postulated that this could help Trump with black voters. And similarly, I th- or he was certainly one of the early. It might have been Laura Loomer, too. Um, and, and then along with Lee Zeldin, I think Dinesh D'Souza was the first person to compare Trump to Navalny, which, again, is absurd mm-hmm. for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, it's, it's such a crazy analogy, but it's also deviously, wickedly brilliant. Um, and so Trump is kind of coming in much later and, and uh, co-opting these narratives and I think weaponizing them now. Well, I, to take this broader than just the African-American uh, vote question, you know, Trump was at CPAC calling himself a dissident. And this to me is a more odder strategy. I mean, in, sort of in line with what I was saying before, I want to develop strong bonds with people who feel marginalized. So they're with me, you know, live or die. Um, but it is, it is weird to run as a former president who's going to restore some sort of, you know, order and stability and characterize yourself essentially as a radical. I mean, dissent is not the kind of language that any presidential candidate of, of viability has ever used before. Uh, and in America, in America, in America, uh, and while I do think it it probably has uses in developing developing cultish bonds, it doesn't really strike me as a winning strategy. At the end of the day, uh, I don't think most Americans want their president to be seen as a political radical. Uh, I think they want stability. Uh, and Trump doesn't offer stability. Uh, yeah. So this, I, this goes back to my theory, though, that, you know, and this will be a weird analogy, but we're, we're better to try one out than right here. Remember, we had three TV channels, right? The TV sucked, mostly, mm-hmm. because every channel was trying to be like acceptable, broadly acceptable and and not offensive. And so they put on kind of generic shows that didn't offend anybody. And so you didn't get Breaking Bad, you know, um, and and uh, but now like Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones or um, The Bear or any of these, you know, kind of really good shows are getting like just a few million viewers. Right. But they're good and they're interesting. And I think like Trump is. um he doesn't want to be leave it to beaver or Andy Griffith. You know, he wants to be Walter white. And so if you're into that show, man, you are really into that show and it's exciting. And you like, 
you know, you, you talk about it to your friends, you're obsessed. With, I realize I'm talking about a show that's 15 or 20 years old at this point, but you get my point. Well, and I, th- I think Trump looks at this as a TV show and he yeah. wants to be a TV show that's, that's interesting. You know, that's fun. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be boring. I mean, and you, and you hear some of that back from some of these, you know, person on the street type interviews. Uh, and if you think that nothing matters, if you think that sort of, and I've seen some discussion recently, I think it was, there was an Atlantic article about need for chaos voters who don't want to replace a system with a better system. They're not looking about how to improve their lives necessarily. They just want to burn everything down. Uh, the notion that if everything has gone to hell, I might as well have a fun TV show to watch as, as it burns. Uh, Trump is, uh, in that sense, a rational choice. Um, but I don't think that's what the median voter wants in swing states or the country generally. They want stability. They want a sense that things are going to go back to normal. And to extent that Biden is struggling, uh, I think it's largely because of the age question. They People worry is this guy, you know, deteriorating over time? And if, even if he's marginally okay now, is he going to be worse next year, the year after that, the year after that? Is he going to die in office? Um, and 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 the border adds that level of anxiety. They can't seem to contain this thing. Things seem things seem uh, uh, discombobulated. Uh, so that makes Biden's job hard to say I am the stability candidate. But at, at the end of the day, Biden wants to be the stability candidate, and Trump is not trying to do that. Trump is trying to be uh, someone who is wild and crazy and 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 jagged, uh, willing to invite Russia to invade European countries, willing to disrupt the order. Uh, I I don't think that works at the end of the day, but it, for it to work requires a sense of nihilism. Uh, yeah, uh, that perhaps was there a little more in 2016 than you have right now. And who can afford? Who can afford to not care? I think it's a combination of people who have given up, they have no hope, and people who are very comfortable, who have the luxury of not caring. People who care deeply uh, want stability. But at some point, maybe there's more of the other of people who don't care than there are of people who do care. That is the danger. There, there, there's a there's a TV ad I want I want to see Biden do. I might write about this soon. Um, you know, I mean, you know, Ronald Reagan had the classic pitch in 1980: "Are you better off than you were four years ago?" Uh, which essentially what any incumbent should do as their as their as their pitch. Uh, and you have a unique situation that you're running against someone who was in office four years prior. Um, and Trump is really trying to retcon his time in office. Everything was great. Every, every, from 2017 to 2019, everything was great. You know, economy was booming. Uh, the, the economy is good now because it's running off of my fumes. And he just kind of skips over all that, you know, 2020 stuff. Yeah, and- I, think, I think he's been allowed to get away with this narrative that the only problem was COVID. Right, right. And, and, I, think, and I think it's done. Like, I think he has gotten away with that. He has pulled off that maneuver. Well, here's where I think he, where I think he's still vulnerable. It's hard for Biden to play the pandemic card because Republicans can go back and say, "Well, you guys did all the lockdowns. You guys ruined our children." Even though it's not like Biden, Biden's not closing down schools, but it, it becomes more of a muddied argument because you have to then get on the defense and say, "Well, that's not me." 
what I think Biden can do is show the footage in 2020 of nationwide rioting, uh, which of course happened after George Floyd. Uh, and look, we know that Republicans at the time said these these are the Democrats. These are all the Democratic mayors and Democratic cities that are happening. Um, well, why are they not happening now? Why is there no rioting in the streets now? Uh, we are four years after, and you can make, I think, a very clean argument that Donald Trump was an explicitly racially divisive president for four years, and it ended in widespread rioting. And we don't have that today because we have a stable figure in the White House. And, the, and you can communicate that very visually with you know a smattering of Donald Trump quotes and literal pictures of rioting, which you do, which you can go out your window right now and see are not currently happening. Um, so I like to see that card played um, come come fall. Once again, Bill, you're you're a better strategist than than the Biden and Democratic. <laughs> well, and maybe they're thinking of this too, and I don't know. I mean, I it's, it's so. I mean, why isn't Biden this right now? Because February, people, like, that's why. Like he's not going to play all the cards right now. But I mean, the game is afoot. I mean, we are in, we are effectively in a general election mode. Uh, so they should be doing some things. And so what I'm suggesting right now, maybe should be safe for later. Maybe you should do it now. I don't, the timing I think is is less important to me, but I think these vulnerabilities exist that can be exploited. Well, what I like about it, what you've done, I think it, it has the benefit of true being true or at least being plausible. Your theory is very plausible. But it's also kind of outside the box. It, it reminds me, frankly, of what Dinesh D'Souza and Trump do, <laughs> which is uh, flip the script and present something in a way that you've never thought of it. Right. You assume that the riots were down to Trump's benefit. Uh, but you're saying, no, these happened on his watch. In fact, he incited them to a certain degree and it hasn't happened on Biden's watch. So it's a different way of looking at it. Um, and I, I personally, and maybe they're planning on doing something like this. I think they should hire Bill share, <laughs> but then we'd be out a co-host. So can't do uh, it. I, 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 could, I could double dip. Um, but you know, I, I just go back to that morning in America, ad, which I wrote about you know, a couple weeks ago. Uh, I mean, it had like a few data points in it, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like, Here's GDP and here's real disposable income and here's um, uh, wages above inflation. It wasn't that kind of data ad. Um, they had they, they they mentioned some things very lightly, but it was more about the narrative. Yeah. It was more of the story of feeling like you can marry your sweetheart and be able to buy a home in a way you couldn't four years ago, and it didn't matter that the average 30-year mortgage rate was actually just as high as it was four years ago. <laughs> but it had come down in the last couple of years. Uh, and Reagan just had a general vibe of like an upbeat, you know, sunny sort. Lana's dower is Jimmy Carter. Uh, and so the story felt true. Uh, and I think you can make a story that feels true that Donald Trump is a uh, relentlessly divisive figure and guess what? His presidency ended in widespread rioting in the streets. Um, you, there, there, there are counter arguments one could make to that, but I do think that basic narrative feels true. All right. Well, you heard it here first, everybody. Uh, Bill, anything 
left to say or anything you want to plug before we get you out of here? Well, we should talk, I think, you know, potential shutdown quickly. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, brief, give us a quick briefing. Well, uh, actually, I, 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 is, I, is March 1st the deadline for some of these spending bills? It could be. Forgive me for not having the exact date in front of me. But I think we're, we're definitely coming up to the point where, like, they don't pass uh, a continued resolution, a stopgap bill. Um, you'll have a partial government shutdown because they did it. They did it on a staggered basis before. They had different deadlines for different departments, um, and we're stuck where we were because the hard right faction in the House is demanding poison pill policy riders on the spending bills, which have nowhere to go in the Senate or on the president's desk. And you know, Mitch McConnell is not for it. He's saying we're not going to have a shutdown. But Speaker Johnson can't pull the trigger uh, and just tell the the unruly faction you're not going to get your way. He keeps playing footsie with them. Uh, now he has not had a shutdown yet. He has pushed forth short term bills um, and made them unhappy. Uh, and we just can't know how much flack is it willing to take from these people because he's such an untested figure. Um, so it's hard for me to predict whether we're going to have, I, I don't, I, I doubt we're going to have like a long shutdown. I still could see like one of like a day or two maybe because Johnson doesn't have the gumption to just tell these guys to go pound sand. Um, but, uh, and of course, on top of all this, you still have the fact that the foreign aid package of Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan funding is still in limbo because he, uh, isn't willing to put that on the floor, and he's and, and I think he's. He, you're, I mentioned this, you know, back when we we're talking about the, a package with the border bill. Could he withstand fellow Republicans saying to him, "If Putin wins, it's your fault. Putin's going to win if you don't do this," which we're hearing people say, uh, Democrat and Republican. So there's a lot of pressure on Johnson right now, and it's hard to mind where you know what he's going to do with that pressure, uh, uh, and so. While he may come through at the end of the day on these things, or we have a discharge petition on the Ukraine bill that that, that circumvents him, uh, my current bottom line is he is a downgrade from McCarthy. Uh, I, I can't know exactly how McCarthy would handle this stuff, uh, but uh, I, I feel that Johnson is a is a weaker figure, more beholden to the the Matt Gates faction feels he has to do more hand-holding with them because he, he is in this position because of them. And we could have had a Speaker McCarthy who was in, in power without them. Uh, so I feel like we made, I think we made a bad call uh, in October. Uh, and I, and I, I still have some slivers of hope that Johnson will get us through this. Um, I think we're in a much more messier, uh, you know, fingernail-biting period well, I mean, and look, it has impact. Like Ukraine is reeling because it's taking this long to get them that funding. Uh, and while I can't say with absolute certainty that, that McCarthy wouldn't have the same thing, I, I think McCarthy would have done the border bill, quite frankly. I, I mean, McCarthy was trying to marry those two things. I think he would have followed through on that. That's my that's my gut feeling. But I can't know that for an absolute fact. All right. Anything you want to plug? Uh I, I do want to write, I, I got to write a newsletter about Michigan before the results come in. So I do want to flesh out what I was saying before about uh, those uncommitted numbers uh, that will be coming into your inboxes before before the results come in. So keep an eye out for that. If you haven't signed up, you can go to the Washington Monthly, washingtonmonthly.com and sign up for the newsletter there. 
or check it out on washingtonmonthly.substack.com. Yeah, definitely check that out. Um, it's a great newsletter. Thank you. Uh, make sure that you are subscribing to us on youtube.com slash Matt Lewis, uh, our audio podcast, The DMZ Show. Uh, follow us on Twitter at DMZ Show. And we will see you, Bill, next week right back here in the DMZ. All right. Take care, everybody.